Welcome to the Victory Life Church podcast. We believe it's important to present an uncomplicated and uncluttered view of Christ and how we should live. We hope this podcast inspires you and helps build your faith. If you ever find yourself in the area, come check us out. For more information on services and events, visit us at blcministries.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at VLC Plantation. Well, turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 9. I'm going to read the first 10 verses and I will do some talking. I, I was going like this this morning. I love God's word. Do you love God's word? Okay, can, if you love God's word, would you kiss God's word? Can't, there was a commercial when we were kids. Can't get enough of that sugar, Chris. Sugar. How many remember that commercial? I've got a few of us that have been around. Dude, I just love God's word. Mm. You know, someone has said, if the house is burning, what would be the one thing you'd get out of your house? I know it sounds spiritual, but this you can take anywhere you go. I'd, I'd like to get my Bible out. We're continuing learning about what we just sang about, the tabernacle. Now, you and me don't understand that kind of worship. So I'm going to do my best to help you understand what the nation of Israel did when they got together to confess their sins and worship God so that you and me might have a better understanding what we just sang about. The veil was torn from top to bottom when Jesus died. We had access to the Father. And the ordinary Jewish person never had that kind of access. In fact, you and me as believers, Hebrews 4 tells us, we can come boldly into the throne room. Boldly into the throne room. People were terrified in the wilderness. Moses, we're not going up there. You intercede for us. You be the mediator between God and us. We're frightened to death. And those priests and and, of course, the head priest, they went into that holy of holies with fear and trembling. God says, you and me can come boldly into the throne room. You don't appreciate it or you won't appreciate it till you understand how we first came into the presence of God. And that's what Hebrews talks a lot about. Let's begin in verse 1. We're going to read the first 10 verses, and we're going to read some more in chapter 9. We're going to be talking about the earthly tabernacle, the heavenly tabernacle, the high priest Jesus. Remember, it's all about Jesus. I love the book of Hebrews because it focuses on him. As a minister of the gospel, there's nothing greater I can do than talk about Jesus that never gets old. I know last night I was playing some pickleball, and uh, someone asked me, well, why, why are you so full of energy and, and enthusiasm and, and excitement? And I, I, I said, I don't mean to be preaching, but it's because of him. I got to do that last night. It's because of him. I can't wait till the glory of God just empowers me, and I get to preach to all those pickleball players. Because all I hear out there, I played someone last night. At the very end, it was dark. They didn't turn on the lights last night. You call up the city plantation, get on to them, please. We pay our taxes. And they did, and we're playing in the very wee dark and barely see that ball. And the person I'm playing with, every time that person missed a ball, 
Did they praise God? No. The F-bomb came out of them. I hear more F-bombs out there in the pickleball court than I do anywhere else. I can't wait till God turns that around and he uses the saints out there. Hmm. I hope you feel that way at work, about where you live, about where you shop, that you want to bring the glory and the light of God in that place that you walk. Well, it's interesting to talk about Jesus because he's here and uh, I'm going to do my best to honor him. Now, the first covenant, an agreement that God made with man, Jacob talked about it last week, the old agreement, the old covenant that God made with man, how we approach him, how we come into his presence, has faded away, has been fulfilled, and there's a new covenant. You know about that new agreement God made with man. You have access to the Father because of my blood. You know that. Jacob talked about that. Then he kind of regroups again and begins to remind the nation of Israel, because this is a book to the Hebrews. They were tempted to go back to embrace their old habits and old ways of religion. Or they wanted both, the best of both worlds. And he was reminding them, no, no, you don't want that. So he explains to them a little bit more about this, this earthly tabernacle. Now, the first covenant agreement regulations for worship, also an earthly sanctuary. A table was set up, or a tabernacle. In the first room, there were lampstands, the table and the consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place, which had the golden altar of incense and the gold the gold-covered Ark of the Covenant. Um, just want to make a note. You might want to circle that spot. There was, that was not in the Holy of Holies. That is the golden altar of incense. I don't have time to elaborate on that. Go look up in your commentaries. Um, we, we can explain it. Remember, there's no contradiction in God's Word. But I don't have time to go into that. But we're going to find out, and you're going to see there's only one thing in the Holy of Holies. We're going to continue. <clears throat> the ark contained the golden jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the covenant. Above the ark were the cherubim of the glory, overshadowing the atonement cover. But we cannot discuss these things in detail now. He's just given a brief overview. Go to Exodus 25 to 33, and it gives a detailed account about the tabernacle. You will have a greater appreciation for this saying. Come boldly into the presence of God after you read that. Let's continue. When everything had been arranged like this, the priest entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry. But only the high priest entered the inner room. And that only once a year, and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still standing. This is an illustration 
This is the key phrase for all of Hebrews. This is an illustration for the present time, indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. They're only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings, eternal regulations, applying until the time of the new order or the second coming. May God add the blessings to the reading of his word this morning. I want to first, well, by the way, I think all of you should have this uh, outline. How many do not have one? We may have some left over. Now, this is a detailed outline. I have about 50 commentaries or more on my computer right here. Don't take this from me. This is probably worth about uh, $20,000 because instead of building a regular library, I now build a library on my computer. Never thought I would do that. My, I remember my first church preaching three times a week. I'd have encyclopedias, dictionaries, and commentaries, and Bibles, and pads, and yellow pads all spread out on my table. Hallelujah for computers. But uh, one of the commentaries is a king of alliteration, and I've given you a, an outline that you can take home. We're going to go over the major key points of this chapter but he, he gives you words in a verse that will help articulate what's taking place in this chapter. So you want to take this home with you, but you can follow along this morning. I'm not going to get involved in, into the intricate details of this outline, but the basics of the outline this morning, okay? The first thing I'd like to show you this morning, the three major points, the title of this morning's message is the shadow's reality. The shadow's reality. So the first thing I'd like to show you this morning is the shadow of Christ. Everything in Hebrews and everything in the tabernacle, everything the priesthood and everything the high priesthood and every piece of furniture in that tabernacle points to the Messiah. But if you don't read the New Testament, you're not going to really understand the Old Testament thoroughly. A shadow. When I think about a shadow, I, I think about a person that casts a shadow. I think about buildings, just, just to help your mind understand that the tabernacle was just a shadow. Look at that. And then I, I think about, um, you know, shadows, they can't do anything for you, can they? If you're in the alley all by yourself and somebody comes along ready to fight you, and you see, here's my shadow, it's really big. Come on, he's going to beat you. Well, that shadow can't help you at all. In fact, the Bible tells us that the tabernacle, the old covenant is a shadow. So help you understand that the tabernacle, the temple, Solomon's temple, Herod's temple was a shadow of what actually is in heaven. Now, a shadow can do something. It kind of reminds me of a Big old, you ever seen this before? You're in a dark alley and we see some big old shadow and come around the corner, it's a little mouse. The, the, the Old Testament should scare you. It did scare the Hebrew people. The Bible said the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Okay, so we're building a case for the tabernacle just being a shadow and the high priest just being a shadow of who Christ actually is. Now, 
in order to understand what we're talking about, wanted to remind you just a teeny bit of history of, of the nation of Israel. Remember, this is what they did in the wilderness. This sort of gives you a little picture of there's the tabernacle in the middle and there's the 12 tribes of Israel surrounding the tabernacle. And in the right around the tabernacle, that's where the Levites hung out. Okay, now we're going to go to another picture. This kind of gives a, a Google out picture of what was happening in the wilderness with over a million something people when they left Egypt. God is showing all of us his his holiness, and in order to be in his presence, there was going to be a way to go about doing it. And then we have a kind of a, another Google out picture of how they were going to enter into this time of worshiping God as a nation, how they could be forgiven of their sins, and how they could approach the holy of holies. Now, we go to the next slide. Remember what Jesus said, because they, it was a, it was what Jacob talked about last week about the covenants. Remember, there's the unconditional covenants and conditional covenants. This was a conditional agreement. If Israel did their part, this is what God would do. Because they didn't do their part, God destroyed the temple. There's really nothing left of the temple. I think there's a, here, here's, a, here's, a, a, here's the temple. This temple, by the way, at one time was one of the seven wonders of the world. It was so beautiful, it was so magnificent, that the apostles talked to Jesus about it. Said, wow, look at this place. There's no place like this. And Jesus told them, not one stone will be left on another. And literally, General Titus literally leveled this temple. And this is all that remains this is not the temple. Otherwise, Jesus' word would not have been fulfilled. This is the second wall. There was the wall, the tabernacle wall. But then this is outside the tabernacle. This is the wailing wall in the West End. And this is all the religious artifact that uh, the Hebrews can really enjoy to give them a reminder what their former glory used to be like. Okay, so now you at least have a picture of, of Israel worshiping the living God, juxtaposed against how we worship God today. Now, so that you understand a little bit more in depth what's going on, how individuals got forgiven of their sin and how the high priest needed to confess his sin and then how God would forgive the nation of Israel of their sin, I want to give you just a two-minute tour through the tabernacle so that way when we read it you have a little better idea what's going on so we'll go ahead now it's slowly going to just takes two minutes this is where Israel was all around them and this is the gate remember Jesus said he's the gate he is the gate he's the door and so this is there's three doors this is the first door the first curtain of course but then there was the real uh, door and you walk into the outer courtyard and then there was the brazen altar. This is about seven by seven by four feet high. And this is where all the sacrifices that when you came to worship God, you would bring an animal. And this was a bloody mess where they cut the animal's neck and all the sacrifices would be up on that altar. The priest would collect some blood. Then he'd go over here in the laver and he would wash. Jesus said he would wash our sins away, wash himself, cleanse himself to go into the second door in this place, the second curtain to go into the holy place where only the Levites could go into 
And there was three pieces of furniture in there to the right. There was the table of presence reminding us that God wanted to be with us over to the left, the most recognized religious symbol in the, almost in the world, the, the menorah. And then, of course, you have the altar of incense. This was that debatable subject I talked to you about just a minute ago that's not into the Holy of Holies. And the, these are the prayers that would go up before the Lord, uh, the prayers of of Israel, and of course, our prayers are like an incense offering unto the Lord. Remember, he taught us that in Revelation. And then we go behind the, the third door of the third curtain, which only the high priest could enter into once a year. Once a year. And he went in with fear and trembling and had a bell tied around him in case he died in there. They could pull him out. And this was the ark and the cherubims. And that's the mercy seat that they're covering. And then, of course, the items we'll talk about. So I wanted to at least give you a visual of what we're talking about as we begin to tackle this chapter. Now you'll understand just a little bit better how you could get your sins forgiven, that you might appreciate a little better way that any moment, any time you can just stop and go, I, I God, I'm sorry for my sins. You're into the Holy of Holies where only the high priest could go once a year. So let's go back now and begin to tackle this. If you look at your outline, we're looking, first of all, at the sanctuary shadow in verse 2 through 5. If you have your cell phones, you have permission to turn them on, providing you don't message anybody else and you don't look on Instagram and Facebook. If you do, you'll have to confess your sins. Okay. Here we go. Now, remind, remember, he's, he's, he's talking to the Hebrew people. They're very, very familiar with this. Many of them are. But many are like the church today. They don't know who Jesus is. He's just a man or a religious figure to many Americans. Yeshua, was, it, he was just a regular man. In fact, some people thought he was a criminal. So the Hebrew writer needed to expound on What's taking place? So although some people were familiar with what's taking place, other people were not. So he reminisces a little bit about their history and how they worship God. He said, now the first covenant agreement had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. This is a sanctuary shadow. This is not the real sanctuary. He reminds them of that. So in verse 2, he begins to journey into this tabernacle, this place of worship, this place where there, you should fear and tremble. And you read in the Old Testament, many things happened, bad things happened in this tabernacle. People died. People got leprosy. This was not, let me beep up into God's presence and tell him I'm sorry for sin. That's not how mankind approached God. Now, he wanted to have fellowship with us. He does, remember, before the world began, Christ was slain. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. So never forget that God wants the fellowship with us. But he's showing us how we can get into his presence through the nation of Israel and then, of course, through Christ. So the sanctuary, now we're going to learn a little bit about, again, reminisce what's in there. A tabernacle was set up in its first room. That's where we're back again to that first room, those three objects that were in that room. There was the lampstand, and then there was the table with the bread on it. There was two piles of bread, six in one pile and six in the other, that represented the 12 tribes of Israel. Remember, everything 
is a shadow of Christ. Remember, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. They got ticked off when he told everyone, eat me, drink me. Sounds like cannibalism, doesn't it? So Jesus said a lot of unusual things to the people that didn't, could care less. He didn't want to cast his pearl before the swine. In other words, take the precious word of God to people. That, let me take the precious word of God out in the pickleball court, and you know what they're going to do to me? Most people would just, they'd chew me off the pickleball court, right? They, they could care less about this. And God say, don't take what's precious unless I told you to go there. And the Holy Spirit's at work. Don't take the precious word of God and begin to spew it out to all the ungodly people that I haven't prepared their hearts to receive the precious pearls and truths of God's word. That's what he means when he says, don't cast your pearl before the swine. And so then there's the, the light. Remember, there was the outer court. The sun gave light to the outer court where the sacrifices were given. You kind of balk sometimes when we ask you to tithe and give offerings. Every sinner came always bringing for their sin, for their sin, either a bull or a goat. How many times would you have to come with a bull or a goat? Hmm. You'd have to have a big farm, huh? And then that was just for the sin offering. And so sometimes when we ask you to give, we're not asking you to do it for our purpose. We're asking you to do it because that's God's plan for the tabernacle, for the whole priesthood, and, and then for the church today. So the church may support a light in the plantation as well as the state of Florida, as well as the United States and around the world we give to those causes that support the word of God. They had to come. With, it, was a, it was an awful place, the outer court. But there was light from the sun. Then you go into the holy place. The holy place. Not the holy of holies. And the menorah gave light in that room. And then when you walked into the holy of holies, who lit it up? The glory of God. And so then you come to the altar of incense that, that was in there, and that's where the, the priest would go in there regularly, daily, to make sure that, that, that those lights were never to go out. The oil was never to go out. The wicks were never to go out. There was no candles in there. Some of your, uh, some of your translations, uh, I think the King James says, a candle. It, it's not a candle in there. It's oil, olive oil, and then there was a wick. And it was forever burning. The light was never to go out. And the incense offering is your prayers and my prayers going up before a holy God. Right on the other side of that door, right on the other side of that curtain, God is watching you, looking at you, waiting for you. Wherever you make your altar, wherever you're praying, think about that now. Your prayer is going up like an incense offering. He's hearing you. He loves you. He cares about you. He wants to hear your prayers. Then the next room. Let's go into the next room, the sanctuary shadow. We're still on that. Behind the second curtain was called the most holy place, which had the golden altar of incense. That's the controversy. I don't want to get into that. Now, there's reasons for explaining that. I'll just give you one. Perhaps when the high priest went in there once a year, he had to bring the blood of the goats and the bull in there, and he sprinkled it on the mercy seat for his own sins first. Then for the sins of the nation. And so perhaps when he opened 
that door or open that curtain. That altar of incense was butted up right against that door, right against that curtain, so that the author, as he was explaining it, was saying, this is in the Holy of Holies. That's one explanation. There are many other explanations, but really the only thing that was in the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant. And the author explains what's in that Ark. Don't think of Indiana Jones and, um, and, and stuff like that, the mysterious stuff that happens if you look inside the Ark. Um, at one time, remember, the Ark was seen by everyone because if you study King David and King Saul, remember the Ark, they, they took the Ark into certain places because that represented God was with them. God was fighting their battles. So in that Ark, of course, was the manna, manna, represented how God provided for his people in the desert and how God wants to provide for every one of you in this room, both spiritually and, and, and physically. I know I was praying on the way here this morning. I always pray regularly the, the prayer, Our Father, not like I did when I was a Catholic, Our Father, heart in heaven, holy Mary, I used to say those prayers so fast that it meant nothing to me. It was just repetition. I was just going through the motions. You've been there. Many of these people in Hebrews are just going through the motions, and he's trying to stop them. Think about what we're talking about, what we're doing. Thinking about what you're trying to go back to. You know, I love going back to the Catholic Church because I'm just in awe over some of the buildings and the structures and the, and the seeming holiness when I walk in there, right? We, we know that kind of mystique. Paul said, you, you, you're tempted to go back to that as if it's going to make you holy. If it's just going to do something for you, it's not. But then we got to be careful not to take for granted the privileges that we have today of just thinking about God. And you're in his presence. You're in the holy of holies. This is all just a shadow. He wants to remind them all these things are just a shadow. And, of course, there was the Ten Commandments that were in there. Now, we think about something else if you're looking at your outline. The service shadow, the service of the priest in the tabernacle was just a shadow of what Jesus would eventually do. When everything had been arranged like this, the priests entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry. Only the priests could do that. We struggle today in our country right now. The big debate is... Can women be pastors, preachers? The answer is absolutely no. You heard it from me. You can throw me the fiery darts all you want. That's what God said. He told women to carry babies. Men, I have some news for you. You'll never be able to have a baby. Only men were assigned this role. Don't let the world hoodwink you in believing a lie. Back to the sermon. When everything had been arranged, the priests entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry. But the high priest, the high priestess? No, only the high priest. A woman thinks she's that bold that she can be a pastor and be a high priest and go into the holy of holies. Go ahead and try it. You remember Miriam when she thought she didn't have the clout that Moses had? Remember what happened to her? Does anybody remember? Raise your hand. All those who remember what happened to her. How many don't know what happened to her? Raise your hand. Huh. What did she get? Leprosy all over her body. Because she said, 
I got rights. God doesn't just speak to you, Moses. We're your brother and sister, Aaron and I. He speaks to us too. Another clown tried that. Korah and all his followers who were assigned special duties to take care of all the stuff we're talking about. And they ran into Moses' tents. We got rights. God doesn't just speak to you. He speaks to all of us. Guess what happened to that clown, his wife, his kids, and his family? And dogs and kittens and rats and all that got swallowed up by the earth. Quit thinking as an American when you read Scripture. That will change your life. I love women. I have a wonderful wife. I've been married to 41 years. I have beautiful daughter-in-laws. I have granddaughters. Don't tell me I don't love ladies. But God has assigned each one of us a role, and he's given us a different gender, male and female. He made them in the Bible. We're going to be speaking about some of these things in the very near future because there's so much disinformation out there. Now we continue about the service of this priest. Now, he said, in beginning in verse 8, the Holy Spirit was showing this way into the most holy place had not been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still functioning. So it's just a shadow again. This is an illustration, I like that word, for the present time, indicating that the gifts and the sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. It couldn't do it. It was, it was making it holy. It was setting apart. They had to do that. They had to be obedient to that, or there was a penalty to be paid, but that didn't change the heart or the mind necessarily. That's what the author is saying. They are only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings, external regulations applying into the time of the new order. A pause right now. There are three types of laws. There was the moral law in the Old Testament. That has not been done away with. And then there's the civil laws that we can glean from those civil laws that God gave the nation of Israel and Whatever's beneficial will help us as we set up a government. In fact, our Judeo-Christian values are due mostly to the way God set up the nation of Israel. In fact, our branches, our legislative branch, our executive branch, and our um, judicial branch are all basically modeled after the, after the Scripture, if you really look deeply into it. But then there is the ceremonial laws. All these activities that we're talking about that took place in this tabernacle, it's finished. It's over with. The temple's destroyed, but not at this time. The temple had not been destroyed when the book of Hebrews was written. They no longer practice these things. It's finished. The old covenant is finished, and the new covenant has come in. Now, that's hard to explain sometimes to my Messianic Jewish brothers and sisters in Christ. Some, like the church, some are very liberal, some are conservative, and some are in the middle of the ground. Some want both of both, best, both, of both worlds. There's nothing wrong with celebrating all the religious holidays that God gave the nation of Israel because there's truth in it, just like there's truth in the tabernacle. That if you want to celebrate the Passover 
as an American or as a Jewish person or as a Messianic person, there's nothing wrong with that. You tell the story from the beginning to the end that Jesus became our Passover lamb. So it's no longer necessary for you to go buy a lamb, slit its throat, cook it for supper, and then make sure you put some blood on your doorpost so when all the neighbors come by, they'll say, who's that lunatic in this house? It's not necessary. So there's nothing wrong with blending both. I'm not saying you can't celebrate it. But when they try to put you back under the law that you have to worship on Friday to Saturday. Or when, as I was eating with my buddies one time that were attending church with me, very professional people, owned businesses, and I was eating a nice pork sandwich. What are you doing? You're not supposed to do that. Uh Uh-uh. That's legalism. You're trying to put me back under the law. If you want, if you, okay, you don't want to eat pork? Let me go through the list of all the things that the law says you are to do and not to do. Have you done them all? I always tell the story when I was at my buddy's house and, and there was a Hasidic Jewish person. And by the way, I love the Jewish people. I love Israel. Everything I know, everything I believe comes via, by the way, of the nation of Israel. And our Savior is Jewish. So when I say these things, always keep that in mind. But I'm over their house, and I didn't know as a Hasidic Jew, they're very, very conservative, ultra-conservative. And I went to say hello to his wife. How you doing? Don't touch my wife. And then we sat him under a Christmas tree. Oh, my goodness, I didn't know you couldn't do that. And then in the kitchen was a big old pig that we had cooked and ready to eat for Christmas. I really struck out. Three strikes, you're out. <laughs> oh, I just heard from him. <laughs> so let me click off here. I'm okay. <laughs> so we continue to glean and learn from the nation of Israel but, and the old covenant, but it is finished. It's over with. There's a new covenant now, a new way that we approach our God, and it is through Yeshua. Hamashiach, the Messiah of Israel. That's how we approach God, not this way anymore. Now, as we're moving along, it kind of sums it up in in verse 8 through 10 that I just read, but then we move on to now the substance, the substance of Christ found in verse 11 through 22. Let's look at it carefully. I love to read God's word because that's what he promised to bless. But when the Messiah, I like to use the word Messiah because too many people in the America uh, and around the world think of Jesus Christ. What do they think of? That's his first and what? Last name. So we don't understand the meaning of it. But when you say Messiah, uh, a lot of people get that. So I like to use the word Messiah. But so when the Messiah came as a high priest, remember he's been talking about in chapter 7, the, the high priest Melchizedek, and in chapter 8, the high priest. So he's reminding them, I know you hold this guy in high esteem, but there's another high priest in town. There's a new sheriff in town, so to speak, is what he's saying. But when the Messiah came as high priest of the good things, now this is the substance of Christ. This is a sanctuary of substance we're going to be talking about if you're looking at your outline. But when Christ came as high priest, the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, it's not a part of this creation. This is the substance. This is where he's at, sitting at the right hand of the Father. Notice he did something when he went into heaven with his blood and he presented it to the Father. Here's what took place in verse 12. 
the salvation. There's real substance to salvation. He did something. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves. It's all Ichabod. It's finished. We don't do that anymore. Why do you want to go back to that? But he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. He obtained from the Father eternal life. It would be like going to the doctor or Cleveland Clinic, and you can go there and get eternal life through the doctor. He obtained eternal life from the Father because he shed his blood. Just like Americans went to war, shed their blood, we now have peace. Jesus went before the Father, presented his blood, and now we who were enemies with God can now be at peace with God because of the blood of Jesus Christ. No longer enemies of God. Look at the superiority of this particular substance, and he's reminding them of that. Remember, the whole book is about the superiority. He's better. He's greater than. He's superior than any angels, than any prophet, than any temple. He is any high priest. He is superior. That's the message of the book of Hebrews. Don't go back to anything less. And then verse 13 to 14, he reiterates that when he teaches us. So the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremony unclean, sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then with the blood of Christ? How much more with the blood of the Messiah, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God? Unblemished means he was perfect, no sin. Cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. My doctorate is in eschatology, but I'm really struggling. I've, I've, changed, I've been all over the place, folks, okay? It's a negotiable subject. But I still struggle with, and I was brought up under and taught when I went to seminary, got my doctorate degree, that that temple's going to be rebuilt and that we're going to start offering sacrifices again. I, I really struggle with that. And I think if you look deeper with me, and we're going to be talking about that in the near future, I, I really struggle with that. No matter what man tells me, when I go to God's word, he destroyed all that. He gave us a new covenant. You mean he's going to buy his word, usher in a new temple, and they're going to start offering animal sacrifices? You know, the, the world activists, they're going to be, you think they're all over Israel now? They're going to be all over their case if they start offering dad, uh, rats and dogs and animals and lizards and all that kind of stuff in, in order to be forgiven of sins. It's just something to think about. It's food for thought. Don't get mad at me. This is a negotiable subject that we could talk about, okay? All you eschatological buffs out there. Let's continue. Now, the service of the substance, the, the, the service of the high priest, which is Yeshua, under the new covenant, he's saying is far better than the service of the priest under the old covenant. That's what he talks about in verses 15 through 22. Got that? Let's look at it. For this reason, Messiah is the mediator of the new covenant. Who is the mediator of the old covenant under the law? Moses. They were terrified of God. Moses, you represent us. And then, of course, all the other formality of approaching God was implemented by Moses. For this reason, the Messiah is the mediator of a new covenant. That those who are called may receive the promise, eternal inheritance. Now that he has died as a ransom 
to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. That's a fancy word we use. He's the propitiation for our sins. That means he's the mediator between us and God. Actually, he's sitting at the right hand of the throne right now, interceding on all our behalf. Imagine if all of our sin kind of rose to the top right now, and he's, he's interceding on our behalf. And if we come into the light, if we come into the light, the Bible tells us, I can't say so, some light. He, he, we're being cleansed constantly, like being in a washing machine. That's the picture God gives us. We are con- if you will expose your sin, not hide your sin, you are constantly being cleansed of your sin on a regular basis. You are squeaky clean all the time. You are a saint of God. You're not a sinner. You're a saint. He also reminds us of the promise that he grants you and me eternal life. Remember what I said a couple weeks ago? You are born, anybody born again has been born of an imperishable seed. Imperishable. Get that through your skull. It never fades. It's imperishable. Okay. Wow, I love that promise in Peter. That's what Jesus promised. It's not a wishy-washy promise. Notice, he reminds us all this takes place because of a will. I think God wrote the will, but someone has to die in order for the will to be activated. That's what he talks about in these next few verses. But for the sake of time, I'm going to go to the Verse 23 through 28, we've talked about the shadow of Christ. The tabernacle is but a shadow. We've talked about the substance of Christ. Remember, the shadow is reality. The shadow's reality is the tabernacle in heaven. He's talking about versus the earthly tabernacle. The shadow of the high priest is really Yeshua. He's the high priest. And he's in heaven sitting at the right hand of the the Father. That's the substance up there, the high priest. That's the substance. All the other stuff was a a shadow. It can't do anything for you. But it did teach you something. It did teach you something. Don't forget that. The law taught us something, that it can't do the job. Someone else had to do the job, and that was the Messiah. Here's a sacrifice, and Jacob will be picking up on this next week when we enter chapter 10 about the sacrifice of the Messiah, of the real substance. Let's look at 23 through 28, and we'll end. It was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things, that's all the things that we just talked about, the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices. You know, we throw out that word, holy, holy, holy. Everything was made holy through blood. That's what he talked about in verse 16 through 21. Moses purified everything with blood. At least it was set apart for his use. It didn't make them holy inside. It didn't give them eternal life. But it did set it aside. Holy means to separate. You're standing on holy ground. That means it's Use for God only. And so he continues, it was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices. That's, we, we use a fancy word in your outline called the sanctifying in the sacrifice. 
that with these sacrifices, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. That means the animals, the calves, the bulls. The sacrifice of Christ himself is pictured going to that brazen altar, that seven by seven by four feet high. He offered himself as a living sacrifice. I didn't say they slit his throat, but it's like slitting the throat and the blood poured out and the priest caught the blood they would now bring into the Holy of Holies. That's a superior sacrifice than everything else you have been trained to do, you've been taught to do, you've been taught to participate in. Something superior has come along. You no longer participate in that kind of activity. Something better has come along. He continues to remind us that Christ is our substitution because of this sacrifice for Christ or the Messiah did not enter a sanctuary, the tabernacle, with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself to appear for us as God's presence. I just want to say something about this. He is our substitution. The reason the Messiah did his priestly work was for us. Sometimes when you don't feel so special, some of us grew up very insecure. I won't ask you with the raise of hands. I think all human beings technically are insecure until they're full of Christ. He did all this for you. If there was no one on earth but just you, he did this for you. He wants you to know that. When you approach him seemingly with fear and trembling, it's a good way to approach him. But once you get into his presence, love is radiating from him. I did this for you. Christ died in our place, shed his blood for us. Notice the key thing, for us. It is why Christ suffered so much for sin. It is why Christ was separated for a time from God the Father for us on our behalf. That is the saving message of the gospel for the souls of men. This is what Jesus did for you and me. Finally, I'll end with the singularity of the sacrifice if you're looking in your outline. It only needed to happen one time by one person. Let's read it. I tried to do my best to make something that you're not familiar with, I'm not familiar with, that when you read this, it might come to life as we already read, I can't get into the details of this, but if you want to really enrich your appreciation for what the Messiah did for you and me, go back in the Old Testament and study in Exodus 25 all the way through 40. It talks about all these things in detail and what each thing represents. Again, all a shadow of the real tabernacle in heaven, all a shadow of the real high priest all the animal sacrificing, a shadow of the real blood that would be spilt for you and me that would atone for your sins and my sins. Verse 25, nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again. The way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. He explains why. And we already talked about this a few chapters ago. Verse 26, otherwise the Messiah, Christ, would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But he has appeared once for all 
at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Again, he's reminding the Hebrew people, you understand the role of the high priest. He would go into the Holy of Holy once a year with the blood of the bull, and he would sprinkle the, altar, the, the mercy seat seven times. Also back out there on the brazen altar, he also would put blood on the, on the horns. We don't have time to talk about that. And he put, put blood on his toe and finger. There's a lot more to than what I'm saying. But he said, you recall what the high priest did. You put a lot of stock in the high priest. You put a lot of stock in the priest or the pope. You put a lot of stock in the bishop. Don't do that. Don't put your stock in a pastor. Put it in Christ. There's a temptation to put your security in those things, in those regulations, in those rules. In, 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 it, uh, it, it's kind of like a, I talk to people, you say, yeah, I've been baptized. Oh, yeah, they think because they got baptized. There's someone sitting here, I won't point him out. They told me the same thing. Sat in my office and said, hey, I, want to, I don't think he even mentioned, mentioned his name, but I'll just go ahead. So he said, I, I, I want to get baptized. Yeah? Why do you want to get baptized? He couldn't answer. So I said, would you invite me over to your house for dinner? Yeah, they did. And I got to lead a Jewish person to Jesus Christ because he thought baptism, or perhaps I'm, I can't speak out loud everything he thought about it, but that's what some people think. I, hey, are you going to heaven? Yeah, I was baptized as a Catholic. When was that? When I was about eight, nine, ten days old. Oh, it took care of everything, so you go live like double H-E hockey stick all your life, and you're okay because you got baptized. That's what people think. I went to the booth, and I went to the, I went, excuse me, I went to the confession booth and confessed my sins. I'm all right. That's like, okay, I offered the animal sacrifice. Did that clear their conscience and their heart? No, not unless they had faith in what God was doing. By faith, God credited Abraham's account as righteous. Anybody that practiced these things by faith in Yahweh, in God, yes, righteousness was credited to their account because their faith was in, their object of their faith was not the animal. It was in God, Yahweh. Our faith is in the Messiah. He did it one time. Those high priests had to go in there year after year after year and also offer the blood of a lamb on that mercy seat for the whole nation and for their sins. Boy, that high priest would be in there on a regular basis for America because of our sins. They stink to the nostrils of the Almighty God, but I believe there still are millions and millions of Christians in Estados Unidos in this country, America, and I believe he's not through with us yet. Amen, brothers and sisters. Amen. Okay, last two verses and we're finished. Notice this verse is used often with Christians just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment. We use it and apply it to ourselves, but technically it's applying to the Messiah in this passage if you don't take it out of context. But there can be a dual meaning in this. Yes, you're destined to die once. What does he mean by that? If you don't know Christ as your Savior and you die in your sin and you've just been going to church and you've been just going through the motions and you kind of just say hello to him once in a while, you're going to die. But then you're going to stand before the judgment seat of God. And now he's going to judge you again. And there's a second death that God talks about in the book of Revelation. That death is eternal separation from God forever and ever. You won't be able to call a lawyer up. You won't be able to call 911. You won't be able to call mama or daddy a grandma or grandpa, it's finished. It's over with. That is the worst 
kind of thinking I could ever meditate on. No hope. When people have no hope in this life, what do they do? They try to commit suicide because they have no hope. When you're in hell, you can't commit suicide. There is no help. That's what God means by the second death. That's why you should pay attention to what Jesus did for you in this, when he said here, verse 28, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. I like that because he didn't, I, I know people take out of context, he died for the sins of the world, but you got to understand that in context. He died for the sins of many because many people aren't going to get under that blood. He died for the sins of many and he will appear a second time. Another eschatological moment. Eschatology is the study of last things, just in case some of you didn't know. Another point. He's coming back a second time. Not a third time. Not a fourth time. At least it's open to discussion, okay? In Acts 1, he's going, he's coming back in the same way. He's coming back a second time. And this time, what is he going to do? It says it right here. Not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Salvation. Today, I pray that you'll have a greater appreciation for the privilege that you and me have. First of all, to approach a holy God. There's many people on earth that you and me would be in awe of being in their presence, right? Many. But you get to go into the presence of God at any time, at any moment. Even if you're a dirty, nasty, filthy sinner like every one of us were at one time, you can come into the presence of God so filthy, so smelly, so unclean. Say, God, have mercy on me. Forgive me. I'm a sinner. That sin is not only all the sins that you've committed, but it's the sin of rebellion against your creator. And you see that rebellion all around you when God did not make me a male. He made me a female. That I'm a male. God did not create the earth in six days. It took him 20 million years to create the earth. Everything God says, the rebellious flesh says, no, I'm going to come up with how it was done. It's that rebellion against your God that makes you an enemy of God. And until you make peace with God, you'll never be able to be in his presence. And there's one standing over there. Yoo-hoo! I made peace with your... Don't you fear him? There does come a point, by the way, when men and women do not fear him. Romans 1 talks about that, that kind of descent. Ah, he didn't create the heavens and the earth. I can have sex any way I want. I can have sex with anybody I want, any way I want. God says, okay, that's what you want. You rebellious creature. You're rebellious. Now you're going to be even more rebellious. And he gives us over to that reprobate mind. So what you see demonstrated in the public is a fulfillment of Romans chapter 1 where they, re they rejected all the evidence that he exists, that he died for us, he took away our sins, and he's coming back to judge us. It's that rebellion that God wants to forgive you of. If you're looking online this morning or you're here, you don't know Christ as your Savior, 30 seconds, here's the gospel. 
God created you. You and me rebelled against him. You have no way to get right with God. It's like a, an eternal divorce. But God so loved you that he made plans and he sent his son to spill his blood on your behalf and my behalf. That whoever believes in him, not the tabernacle, not the high priest, not the pastor, not the church, not baptism, but who believes in him, he will forgive you and give you eternal life. And he's coming back for you. Would you stand at this time? If you want, listen, I don't have to beg or plead with you. I'll be standing up here. Perhaps you're going to make the decision for the first time looking in online. Please email us, text us, make a comment that you made the decision. Someone will get back in touch with you if you're here today and you made that decision. We'd love to know because the next step after you accept Christ is what? Come out publicly and declare, I have made a decision to live for Jesus because here's what Jesus said. If you deny me before men, when you get to heaven, I know you, Jesus. I know you. Wait a minute. You wouldn't even come forward in a church to get baptized. You would never talk about me at work around the water cooler. You never talked about me at pickleball or pointed people to me or on the golf course or where you shop. You, you were ashamed of me because of the persecution and because of the rejection. You would not identify with me. Baptism solves that problem. I'm going to be baptized and identify myself with the Messiah, Yeshua. Would you come if God's speaking to you? Perhaps you need something else. I'll ask our prayer warriors to come up front right now. Please come up front. And if you need prayer about anything, doesn't mean you did anything. You could want prayer for someone else, for yourself, for your health. If God's leading you, this is the time to do business with God. Would you come? Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. If this has blessed you, would you consider giving a financial gift to help bring this message to more people? You can do that at vlcministries.com slash give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Here's what we believe. Living God's way, everywhere, every way, every day. We love you and God bless.